But there's anything that you want to mention on your own personal calendar or other things happening. It doesn't have to be music related. If you're going to a Royals game, um, we'll take a little break and then we'll come back and basically dig into your life. Start from the beginning, where you're from, all that kind of stuff. And again, later, if you shared something you didn't want to share or whatever, we'll give you a chance to take a listen and we can chop stuff out. Um, Eddie's not scared about any of that. Oh, I know. <laughs> and we actually have done really little editing. General. Um, <laughs> All right, big city, yeah. Kansas City, how you feeling? Welcome to Center Cuts, episode number twenty. Christy, believe it's twenty. No, I wow, cannot. that's wild. <laughs> I cannot 20. believe that. Okay. Uh, it, Al- it, almost old enough to drink. <laughs> As you take a slug off your beverage. Uh, it's it, water. It's right. It's uh, June 7th, and we are here with Eddie Moore, world-renowned, I'm going to say it, Eddie, musician. And also, our purpose for having him here today, yeah, dust it off, Chris, is to um, talk about your Tribe Studios. How are you doing, Eddie? I'm doing great. It's a good Monday. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And we were just saying off air, we saw you Friday night with the Trustable Street Tour with Brass and Bougie and the Black Creatures outside of Union Station with the Casey Streetcar. The next night you were with Chris with We the People, the Moose and Dream Girl, right at Lemonade? As yeah. The district Definitely. kickoff event. Mm-hmm. Normally on Sundays, you're in houses of worship. <laughs> yep around the city <laughs> literally all over the place and oh you play, asked him, you you play church like no, sorry you play church gigs i do <laughs> he goes what that's what i said <laughs> yeah i do actually i'm in like some um some random churches around the city sometimes like in lawrence most of the time in lee summit jesus eddie and wow. you get, i mean your your bio is um and I know you kind of condensed it on your website, so good job there. But I know that could probably run multiple, multiple pages. Um, and we're excited to have you. I know we've been trying to get you in, and you're a busy man. I think when we talked before, you'd been out in Los Angeles. Or was it yeah, LA? I, yeah, I was in LA for a week. You want to talk about that just for a second? Because you told me Friday night. For sure. Um, working with an artist, Corbin Dooley, who um, my good friend, Stan Platt, drummer, sound guy, engineer. Um, introduced me to so we did a week in hollywood at east west studios working on an americana album with him so my role it was a lot of piano organ and wurlitzer um i guess the instrumentation was like two guitars keys drums and bass and uh everyone's from kind of all over it was a, a great experience um kind of my first time recording in a studio other than my own in like the last year and a half hmm. um working with vance powell out of nashville so it was just great learning fun environment and working with um some really great creators i think we got some some heat it sounds like a lot of people like you eddie you know they're all doing a lot of different things not just americana right yeah i mean i felt like the i guess i felt like the oddball and i guess everyone's question was really like like we know you're a jazz pianist like how is this gonna fit like what piece of the puzzle are you you know but I think mm-hmm. once we played like the first song and just 
you know, my approach to that stuff is just to hear what's going on. And I told him, I'm like, I'm like the cheese on the hamburger, you know, I just, I'm going to fit where everything lands. I'm not trying to take up a huge space. And Corbin knows that when he's putting together his band. So it's just like, I'm that wild card element of his projects. And it, it kind of works perfectly, actually. What kind of cheese on this particular burger? That's what I want. I feel like I'm Pepper Jack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My son, that's what we just picked up at the store today. I said, you're making your lunch, kid. I got a podcast to do. I was, a little spicy. <laughs> I was literally about to make the joke. I was like, so you would say that was like probably like Pepper Jack cheese on there? Or... <laughs> A little spicy, you know. <laughs> oh, well, uh, okay, so we thanks so much for being with us, Eddie. We're excited to hear about the studio for sure. We tried to talk about a calendar a little bit. This will come out next Tuesday, hopefully. So it's a little dated. Anything on your radar personally? Stuff you want to do? Um, next Tuesday. That's the fifteenth. Fifteenth. Well, 15th. I mean, it, it can it, it can be stuff that comes out, you know, it's just dated or a month from now or three months sure. from now. Um, right now, just really been focused on putting out music. So we have a new single coming out probably around that time. Um, it's called Single Double. Mm. Uh, it'll be with We The People. Um, and I mean, it's not too complicated. The song's basically about our ham cheeseburger order because okay. we have cheeseburgers. And over the pandemic, because I'm in Crossroads, it's like Town Topic and Corvino. <laughs> yeah burgers so Got top you. topic seems to be the favorite and mine is a you know a double cheeseburger with no onions and mustard yeah. and a single with the same so it just kind of made sense you know and then recently you had a single too where you're kind of describing the process yeah i put out my first single as i guess like a solo artist where, okay um and it's it's like more like lo-fi hip-hop cool um, where i produced it i had a I guess was a, a student of mine who's now like grown up and gone to Berkeley and is making a name for himself, Morgan Falk. And mm -hmm. so he kind of was in town and uh, we did like a little duo project and it's called We Chillin'. Um, I guess I made it in conjunction with the sample pack that I did on piano that's out on native instruments. Mm -hmm. And so I basically just flipped a, a piano sample off that and made a track out of it and came out pretty well. So I was like, man, I'll just kind of like, release this in a new lane for me and um it's been going pretty good it's like super, just easy listening <laughs> super groovy no and then you had like a tutorial though like also kind of explaining the process and letting people sort of see behind the scenes for sure um and that's something i've been diving in like i've spent most of my covid like quarantine time uh doing production and like writing music that way and just taking a different approach to it so um, I thought it would be cool to kind of explain that and let some people in on just a little bit that I've learned and some things that I use behind the computer and how I kind of put it together. Um, I'm an educator, so I felt you, it was right and fitting. You just took the word. You're you're. In, I I want to say a natural teacher, Eddie, but I mean you 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 make people feel real comfortable and engaged. Like I want to learn more, even though I'm not you know a recording engineer or anything like that, or or a musician myself. Um, sure, sure, sure. And, and we mentioned too, so you just had the date with We The People. Do you have any, any other performances? We've talked about church stuff, anything else? <laughs> um, I guess my regular is every second Sunday at Corvino. I do, okay. um, I play duo with Zach Wolmaro. And so like keys and drums, uh, it's been, it's coming up on three years. And I've, I guess the approach is different where I bring my computer and we live loop. So I more or less produce on the fly 
cool and it's kind of whatever we want to play i maybe kind of play some 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 songs or ideas of songs that i've written in the past but for mm -hmm. the most part it's just whatever we're feeling um i get a couple layers and we just kind of build compositions and it's turned into something really great it's great um i don't want to say practice it's kind of like just great practice for that and seeing what we can do and just a different approach to improvised music as all of it's improvised i'm not just taking solos like the whole i'll play mm -hmm. bass and play keys and then layer synth and everything so that's we fascinating. Don't know what we're gonna do wow well um christian let's talk about your life or your calendar thing going on you're not working these days are you um Pregnant that was bar. a that was a good uh that was a good uh video bit for the audio <laughs> listeners um yeah, there's a lot going on. We're in the midst of the Kevin Morby and Waxahachie shows right now, um, which are fantastic. Um, They're all sold out, huh? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Seems like seems like a lot of people are selling out over there. You guys have really created a. <laughs> it's like a that's week street sold out show. That's right? why I called it the field of dreams. You know, if if you build it, they will come. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so we. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. This this if this is coming out on the fifteenth, on the sixteenth at Lemonade, uh, we're screening uh, uh, "Shut Up and Play the Hits," which is LCD says LCD Sound Systems yeah. documentary uh, slash performance at Madison Square Garden. Um, so that's going to sound amazing in those speakers. If you've if you're an LCD, LCD Sound System fan, that's a really tough uh, band name to say. Um, you should come uh, check that out. Um, and then that weekend, is that summer solstice, Patrick? Yeah, the, the 18th. Yeah. Yeah. We're really fired up about that with Kadesh Flo, who Eddie, you were just with on Friday, with the Black Creatures, who were also there Friday, and then the Freedom Affair, and they just blew it out of the park. Was that five weeks ago, six weeks ago? Yeah, it was our first sellout of the season. Mm. Yeah. Um. Everybody, you really just, it, these, these will go on forever, our calendars too. You really just need to get on Lemonade Park's calendar. I mean, I'm looking at my next month there too. Katie Gian's the 26th. And I would say, yeah, I would say keep an eye on Record Bar's calendar because stuff is getting added for July, August, September. Stuff's getting announced already. Um, just kind of everywhere. Keep uh, any of those venues you enjoyed going to. Uh, pre-pandemic they most likely have stuff coming up and they've already announced things and maybe you've missed it so just keep an eye on their calendars because there's going to be some there's going to be some wild stuff i feel like there's going to be people that are underplay rooms just to get back at it um so you'll probably get like a real intimate setting for somebody that should probably be playing like a thousand cap so yeah they, they really are coming fast and furious and um you know it's it's a good thing when I see a night, especially a weeknight, when there are three, four separate events I want to go to. Um, again, I'm looking like this coming the 19th. Mike Dillon's gonna be at the ship, just unreal. Especially seeing him outside in the alley, I'm excited about that. Um, we're doing some shows at Second Presbyterian Church over here by Axwa, another great restaurant. Uh, the Black Creatures are this this week. We've got Key and Burn next week. Jessica Page, Kadesh. Calvin, Mickey P and Trevor, Trevor Turla. Um, I know Replay Lounge is back in action up in Lawrence. They're even doing matinees now, like on Friday. Black Creatures have one of those in July. The Black Box has got a lot going on in the West Bottoms too. 
I'm really excited to see how they're developing that outdoor space and probably move indoors. Um, Raj Mahal, Aaron Keller, just <laughs> working woman. She's booking stuff left and right. Um, knuckleheads. I went to my first jam session in years, a couple weekends ago, and the place was hopping. So, and a Truman, my God, I mean, really everybody, if you have been itching to get out to live music, it's you, there, especially before it gets really stinking hot, you know, oh, uh, and, and support these artists and support these venues that basically have had no income for about a year and a half and no government support still. And it's all been approved, but not distributed. Oh, yeah. So, you know, Right. Cool. <laughs> they, they really have been soldiering on, and, um, but they've got some ground to make up. And uh, I'd like to see the city get involved in making sure that some of these establishments, you know, last in perpetuity because we need them. Anything else, guys, on your calendars? Uh, we stop? Uh, We're good on time, too. Yeah, I but personally, I have a bunch of party invite stuff coming up this weekend because it's E3, so it's a big uh, electronics and gaming conference um, starting on Friday. So we're going to be doing a bunch of live streams and stuff uh, for that and watch-alongs for the conferences. If anybody is interested in that, just head over to Party Invite, uh, uh, Party Invite Show on Twitch, and you'll be able to find us there. Awesome. Yeah, my son, Chris, does that, what, the big Nintendo one every year? Yeah, that's on Tuesday, the date that this releases. Yeah, that's like the one thing he has marked on the calendar for the entire year. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Can't remember his homework, nice. but that one he's done. Okay. Yep. founder, the man at Tribe Studios, and we just kind of went through our calendar a little bit. Eddie, I know you're from Houston, um, and you moved to KC, it's like 2010, 2011? About 2010. A decade. What, uh, tell us about young Eddie Moore in, in Houston. What, what was like, I don't know, I usually ask the same questions about like musical experiences or family. Is your family from there? Uh, no, I'm actually originally from L.A. My family relocated to Houston when I was pretty young. Okay. Um, so I grew up as a West Coast person in the South, which was interesting. Aren't you a skater? <laughs> I am a skater. And so then growing up as a black skater in the South, <laughs> in, <laughs> you know, pre-2000 when, you know, that wasn't really a thing. We should clarify inline skates, right? Yeah, inline. Not, That's our yeah. word. Skateboarders have claimed that word. But when you say to skate, it really means like to skate. 
Yes. I'm in, in line. Okay. Yeah. No, you're fine. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, hey, and yeah. Let me just one second already. Man, is that not a bad idea as an artist who needs use of <laughs> limbs to perform? Because, you know, I, I know some artists recently that had some accidents. Yeah, it's a horrible uh, idea. I, I know, dude. I mean, are you like, are you got like Teflon? You got like a full body <laughs> there? I do wear pads, uh, mainly wrist guards for me. Um, I wear pretty, pretty um, aggressive wrist guards. So I feel pretty confident in my hands and my wrists. I stretch too. Um, I have some previous wrist injuries because when I was yeah. younger, I didn't do that. Um, I have broken fingers. Like I broke my pinky on my left hand, I think right after I graduated undergrad. In between my time Ooh. moving and relocating and it kind of hit me where like i actually had a gig with a mentor and i couldn't play with my pinky on my left oh. hand. and he was just like hey man you know we had a talk about that and um i'm a lot more careful and i'm not going for like reckless stuff you know i'm i'm in my 30s now so to even be on skates and and do that is just a joy uh i keep it pretty simple as far as like rollerblading goes i'm not trying to do any airs no big things that you know i'm just just mainly just, ledges yeah. anything below my waist <laughs> we're pretty good on um, but i like it it's been great um it's been a great balance for me sure well, it's cathartic i think you're just getting out there and you're moving around i would just worry about like not necessarily just coming down like on my palms and my hand to catch myself you know oh yeah that happens at least, i mean that's the first thing you're gonna put down when you fall sure uh, but, Okay. But yeah, I've been doing it, you know, I think we're talking like 15 years now. Okay. So when the sport was like getting, like was at its height or getting into it and then mm -hmm. like leaving and then it's coming back now. So okay. grew up in Houston doing that. And um, that's actually where like my, um, my wanting and in jazz influences come from. Um, I was introduced to a lot of different music from different friends at the skate park. I grew up at the skate park. I rode a bike first. So that was a big part of my life. And um as a classical pianist, I was introduced to other music that I knew was jazz influenced, but just one was more curious about, you know, so when I, about the time in college, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I knew if I wanted to be a producer or someone who could write or play by ear, kind of got to go the jazz route. And uh, I just jumped right in a little ignorantly. Hmm. What part of your family to Houston? Jobs or uh, just other jobs? Families? Yeah, okay. my, we were um, jobs and just maybe like a, looking for a better life you know i think it was sure. like 80s in la and just wasn't good my family's from okay. like mid-city la like the crenshaw uh pico area and um dad got a pretty good job moved to you know the suburbs of north houston which was like culture shock for them and mm -hmm. um so yeah and then even just you know in houston i was I was learning jazz music, but like playing neo soul a lot because that was what was popular and um, spent a lot of time in third ward at that time where U of H and Texas Southern, I went to Texas Southern. Um, and that's where all the culture of, you know, music is in Houston to me. I mean, all the, the there's a huge lineage of jazz Houston musicians and they're pretty much all from that area or I've spent lots of time in that area. Mm -hmm. And it was very influential on me. Um, like I said, I did, I knew about jazz. I'd grown up listening to it, yet not understanding it and had never really played it. And at the time I went to Texas Southern, it was an eye-opening experience. I was in South Houston every day. 
And I mean, going to jam sessions as much as I could and just, I wasn't good, but I was just out there. This is pre-college, Eddie? Going to this jam is session? an undergrad. Okay. Yeah, I graduated high school in like 04. So we're talking like 05 through okay. like 2009 or something. And then where, where were you getting the jazz exposure from? Was it from your parents or? My dad. Yeah, my parents. Um, My dad is the, I guess the jazz head, but he listens to like, I guess his top four artists are like Miles Davis, Coltrane, Frank Zappa, Prince, and thinking about a hip hop there's like a whole bunch of hip hop in there that's a oh. pretty good top five yeah right <laughs> <laughs> and he's like uh i mean when we say like his top five like everything from miles everything from coltrane everything from zappa and prince like i remember him ordering cds of zappa to get those copies because you couldn't buy them you know that is so interesting you mentioned him too eddie i'm trying to find the song i put it on our playlist for the soul i don't I haven't heard a lot of Frank Zappa. Like I knew the Valley Girl song when I was in high school. <laughs> She's a Valley and, Girl. She's yeah, yeah. actually probably the worst song he ever recorded. But his, his daughter's on that, I think. Yeah, Moon Unit, <laughs> Weasel. But his discography is so broad and diverse, and it's just like, where do you start? But right. this song I found the other day, and I'm trying to find it now. Oh, it's it's called Trouble Every Day. It's on that Mothers of Invent that Freakout record. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, he's talking about stuff that is happening exactly right now in society. Uh, social injustice, police presence. I mean, it could not be more prescient. And it's also just freaking sad. Yeah, point, it is. Shit has not changed one bit. No, My and friend. I think that's like a, like, you know, even though I was young, I think subconsciously that's a, a huge influence on my music and why my music comes from that place without, you know, I mean, all of those artists, dealt with that in their own in their own way their music mm -hmm. speaks from that place and um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know i didn't understand it at the time but my dad like we wake up and he's playing records okay and doing yeah. stuff around the house you know what i'm saying you have siblings uh i'm actually i mean i do but i grew up as the only child my brother's uh about 15 years older than me okay so yeah i grew up as the only child understood so you weren't like robbing his record collection or anything or cd collection no, not really. Just because I guess my approach to music, it's like I heard it a lot, but I didn't, I never, I was always focused on other things. My mom made me play piano. And when you have mm. a classical experience and there was no, there was, I felt like where we lived, there wasn't a big opportunity to hear live jazz music. Mm. Do you have like a moment where like jazz, like, clicked in your brain like a specific artist or something where you were just like oh shit i get this now like i get why this is great um because you were classical before so right um yeah i guess like if i summed it down to like the inexperience it's like skating and listen to like far side and tribe call quest you know that's what we were listening i would be the one with the radio at the skate park you know, and it was like, bring your CDs, we're, we're jamming. Um, and I remember listening to Farside and a lot of that stuff and hearing the harmony and the keyboard roll and was like, okay, this sounds a lot like what I've been told is jazz influenced music. And then I got into Black Star with Most Def and Talib and I was definitely mm -hmm. like, whoa. And then I was listening to Jill Scott. I think I was introduced to Jill Scott and like an old school rollerblade video. It was their it was their song for 
the Philadelphia crew was the roots. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, whoa. The killer was just Yeah, and it was like off their iconic out. And that inter- it was like rollerblade culture introduced me to to all this stuff where I was in its modern form. And I was just like, man, I remember being in high school. And I guess the moment is trying to learn some songs off of who is Jill Scott record and having a, a, a huge struggle. And that's when I was like, okay, I need to learn trans hmm. music. Hmm. Yeah, that's harmony together. That's interesting, Patrick, because that's the second person we've had on where their like path to jazz was through hip hop. Yeah, we, we had James McGee from the Future Musicians Foundation and now American Jazz Museum, amongst many other things. But it's kind of the gateway drug. And it was for me, too, because I would hear Sam, I would hear Public Enemy. And I'm like, where's that freaking drum beat coming from? Well, it's James Brown. Where's that? Where's that horn section from? It's cool in the game. You know, and, yeah. would you, and this what is that service now where you can like figure out where the sample came from? I hate it. It's cheating. I forget. <laughs> talking about? That's BS. I, I know what you're talking about, but I forget the name of it. Yeah. And so that was always my mission. And I just started digging into finding out about jazz. I'd heard Bob James. Like Bob James, that guy's such a trip. I saw him in Tokyo like 16 years ago when we were living over there. Eddie, you would have freaking loved it. It was Bob James, a turntablist and a saxophone player playing at the blue note in Yokohama. Mm. <laughs> He's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt. He's probably 70 <laughs> and creating stuff. Like he'd play some notes from like Nautilus or take me to the Mardi Gras and just completely make them whatever. I don't want to call it any kind of music. It was just Nautil- Nautilus was the one I was thinking of when you were talking about the samples because that song has been sampled. Oh, totally. Like a thousand times. <laughs> so you're, was that your introduction to playing though your mother had you start taking piano lessons specifically classical what would how old were you then uh i think my mom started introducing me to private piano at like four or five. Oh wow Dang. i clearly remember being too young to pay attention mm-hmm. <laughs> and her bringing me back <laughs> yes. you know what i mean yes uh my mom's a vocalist so she grew up singing on the la scene um mm. had um a good stint with the um a disco group traveling the world and so singing was a big performing especially in texas like you know cover band stuff and just doing the church thing was a big part of her life and so i would often be at rehearsals with her and just kind of hanging out and i think that was her goal you know she went to lock high school in la which is like a a really famous high school for artists and she was just like you know i want you to she felt like when she, you know that was the big thing about classical she's like you need to learn how to read music you need to know how to read that always hindered her she yeah felt. and she looked up to herbie hancock and he was like a great rounded pianist to her who was a jazz and patrice russian mm-hmm. and um she was like i'm gonna start you in classical and wherever you go after that so she was like really hardcore about making me practice mm-hmm. and making me take that serious i'm super thankful now you know i wasn't yeah then i mean several fights and arguments about practicing and mm-hmm. you know just because i i guess it's different now because like i was never it it never dawned on me that like i should play the music i like on piano at a young age hmm. it was just play what you're told to play hmm. play it well you know interesting I mean? yeah we start weird thing yeah i think we started our son about five he's 17 now but really the first seven or eight years it just was a grind he still doesn't practice, but yeah. I think you get to a certain point either where you know you're proficient because you can start to do things on your own and or you start getting compliments from people 
and you realize that, you know, you've got something going on and then you can maybe take the next step. Was your, was your mother a musician also? Yeah, she was a vocalist. She was a vocalist. Um, she didn't really play piano, but um, she sang all over. I mean, okay. she sang all over Houston, and I mean, in the disco band, she's traveled What's the name world. That group? Would it's I know called, that? Group? Uh, maybe it's called Boys Town Gang. Which Boys is, Town Gang. They did like a. They have some cover stuff of that's actually I watch it on YouTube sometimes. That's really popular. I'm gonna track it down. It's it's interesting, you know. Um, but I grew up seeing, you know, she has a silver golden platinum record from overseas that you know is on the wall with the picture and i would see how serious music could go and then i would hear about the life so i knew i knew what sacrifices need to be made for the level of music that i wanted to approach Mm -hmm. and and going for that like early wow with her you know wow and your father Uh, my dad did like pretty much medical research like lab research stuff Okay. Which is really big in Houston. It's like a huge. Right. Oh, scene. yeah. Oh, yeah. But he was a music lover, just not a performer himself. Yeah. Uh, I guess before that, he was a photographer, but just music lover for the most okay. part. Okay. Um, just a couple more questions before we get to college. And that's interesting. You mentioned Herbie Hancock, too. I think of that. Is it Us Three or US Three? Do you guys remember that group? They sampled that Herbie Hancock Cantaloupe Island. Dun, 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 dun. And that was like one of the first, like I would say, like a mainstream jazz rap, jazz hip hop song. So it's just such right. a distinctive sound. Um, and then I always ask this question too: like, did you listen to the radio? Did you have record stores to go to? Were you burning each other's CDs, making mixtapes? Any other influences there? The sleepovers were at the friend's house. You had cable internet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you know, that's showing my age, but like. Yeah. yeah, I think when that became a thing, it was like a race to fill the iPod up with as much music. I remember, mm-hmm. and that's when I just, like, especially like the first years of college, it's like I was getting full discographies from people. But I was yeah. definitely listening to the radio. I guess my music growing up was actually punk rock and some hip hop. So I was, I mean, being in the skating, I was like going to every warp tour and listening to you know I, it's kind of trippy because a lot of people don't know this but sam platt the drummer uh one of my favorite bands growing up was the get up kids yeah and he recorded their first two albums and when he told me that i like hit the roof <laughs> because i i love like like what is it one minute mile and stuff like that and i was listening mm-hmm. to a lot of punk rock and so hmm. um that that's where that influence comes with on my music i mean i wasn't my best friend had a punk rock band growing up, but I never played in the band. It was never even like a thought like, Hey, you got room for electric keys. I just was like a listener. Hmm. What? Yeah. Cause like a little bit later, they started really introducing electric keys and a lot of that music, but it was so funny when you were talking about being into punk rock, there was a time they were setting up for fresh to death at record bar, Patrick. And I was wearing my uh, MF doom uh, Mad Lib uh, shirt that I have uh, the all cap shirt. Mm-hmm. And Eddie goes, oh, man, is that an Operation Ivy shirt? That's <laughs> <laughs> like, nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. He's nope. like, what do you know about Operation yeah, Ivy, like, by the way? What? <laughs> but yeah, I can't, I, I listen to that kind of stuff. And, okay. you That's know, on my own, though. you know. I, I think that a lot of 
which we try to put music in these different genres and labels. And I get it from a marketing perspective now, especially with the record label. But when you really kind of look at it, boil it down, they, they are all so related, whether it's country to R&B, I think of like Ray Charles to, to hip hop, to jazz, to, you know, and again, punk. I think that DIY attitude also is very important for early hip hop artists too. Like, screw it. We're just gonna we were throwing DIY shows at like 16 and yeah. like building the skate park in the parking lot. Exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Someone's got a turntable and we're gonna get somebody on a mic. And if someone can bring in a live instrument, that's great, you know? Put it in someone's house in their basement. This jacket don't keep me warm, no. This jacket don't keep me warm. It's nothing like your arms, no. But it's not like you used to do. This jacket don't keep me warm. That's what summer was for. But the fall came, then the fall came, then it all came down, all came crashing down. I've been cold since you've been found. I've been low since you in the ground. I've been trying to hold on to the pieces you left me. Now you, so when you graduated, did you go, did you come straight to Kansas City? Did you know that you were wanting to pursue a, a higher degree? I knew, um, no, I didn't know I wanted to like necessarily pursue a higher degree. I took a year off. Okay. Um, I knew I wanted, I guess what made me move is I wanted to play with more like-minded musicians. Mm -hmm. And with that, it was, you know, the art of improvisation. Um, mm -hmm. I, I got tired of kind of, sh of bending my improvisation to the genres of music around me. I literally wanted to like play the most straight ahead jazz and tradition. And so it was a toss up between here and New York. Um, I came here because my dad's side of the family was from here and they were super cool. And I, it was an opportunity to like meet them and, and build that connection. And then I just, my first trip here was just like mind blowing. I met Dominique Sanders in the audition room, first of all, on bass. This and is then, at the conservatory at UMKC? Yeah, this is at UMKC. So, like, I came in, met him in the audition room, thought I completely flunked the audition because he was, like, spinning my head around, you know. Um, and then we had a conversation, exchanged numbers. He dropped me. He came to the hotel, dropped me off, and picked me up, dropped me off at the Blue Room on their Monday night jam session. And I don't think I had ever seen that many people my age playing jazz with such command ever. Like, I don't think I even played. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just oh. sat there, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Wide-eyed, like, whoa. And it was great. After, after you finished the interview? Yeah, yeah. And this is after having a, a, a bachelor's degree in jazz music, you know what I mean? What year was this, Eddie? This was like I moved here summer of 2010, so maybe like okay. right around that time. Okay, um, gotcha. So guys that I you know now I know them. It was like Herman, Chris Hazelton, Steve Lambert, Josh Williams was on trumpet, Chalice. I think Ryan Lee was there. Um, Dom couldn't stay, and then I met Julian Goff and just like all the guys who are on the scene right now, you know. Um, and I was blown away. I was like, okay, so if they're playing like that here then I don't really need to move to New York. 
Now, who who was the interview with? Were you with Bobby? Yeah, I auditioned for Bobby and Dan. Okay. That, was that intimidating? I, that, he's been around. I, mean, I wasn't so much aware of his career, actually. So it was nervous just auditioning in general. And I didn't okay. think at that time, you know, I was I had a couple of things that, you know, jazz wise that I knew. But in my head, I was like, man, like, this is new to me still. And I'm mm -hmm. just trying to, like, play the music. You know what I mean? I wasn't like the best soloist or the best piano player at all. It was you know, I was right. just happy I got into school. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think of all the artists you just named, and not all of them went to the conservatory, but, you know, Bobby certainly recruited, brought here, you know. For sure. A, a slew of talent. I I posted something the same night as the Truce to Ball event last Friday. Um, Herman was playing, I think I told you, like two blocks away from me. I could hear him walking out the door to your show. And I'm like, yeah. what the? And then there's Peter Schlam, you know, on keys. And I know him as a vibraphone. It's like, what is this? These guys are just amazing. And they, you know, wanted to be in Kansas City to be part of this program. Um, that year, 2010, were you already playing out or were you fully just focused on your studies and you just jump right into the scene? Um, I mean, I had played in Houston, you know, I had, sure. had, a, had a group there. Uh, I was part of a group, Neon Callers, which was like a, a fusion group. So when that, we were at the point where we opened up for Erica Badu and Glasper and like Bilal and all these other things, but it wasn't necessarily like a jazz lane. So I just moved here to like go to school, get immersed in the scene, meet people, and just learn more about the jazz culture and learn how to play. Right. Really? Right. Okay. I think the first, I'm, I'm from here, but I moved away and then moved back in 2005. I think the first time I heard of you and or heard you was probably at um, Californos with Inner Circle. Okay. I'm guessing that was maybe 2014, something like that. I'd have okay. to check those dates. Would, would that have been on the patio? Yeah. It was, yeah, it would have been yeah. on the patio. Hell yeah. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? It's not a cover band. It's yeah, right. really freaking... <laughs> Oh, sorry. No offense to cover bands. I'll strike that comment. No, um, that's fine. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I started going down to the foundation. I took my students to the American Jazz Museum, and then we'd go to the foundation and went to a few GM sessions. But, you know, it was just I had a two-year-old time. I couldn't go out that late. But I really started about that time seeing you to realize that jazz wasn't stuff from 100 years ago. And there was more to it than, no offense, Charlie Parker. Right, and right. This is cool this is the stuff i'd want to see live and then you know probably like that like water for chocolate um event at the czar bar i've talked to herman about that just melted my freaking brain the the conflux of hip-hop and jazz and i'm just gonna say it black music was that uh, was that the buzz that did that i think or, that's before the buzz that's before the buzz czar, was it the czar bar um and then the next year it was a vibe called Fresh mm -hmm. over at the Blue Room. I played that one with, I played both of those with them. Yes, you did, Eddie. So I'm trying to say, who <laughs> are these guys? Because I knew Glenn North from the teaching component and then bumped him into that like water. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, what the hell do you think I'm doing here? I'm listening to kick-ass music. Let's go. <laughs> Brad, Williams, Les Ismore, I mean, a Reach, Herman. I'm like, this is freaking phenomenal. So that's probably when I started tracking you. Um, 
And again, just I know we could talk forever just about your musical experiences, expos here. You you always seem to have musical projects that involve a great amount of collaboration. That's what I think of when I think about you, whether it's, again, what you're doing now with We the People. Chris mentioned Fresh to Death. I mean, how did you get that going? Was it just, man, you uh, had like a tank room, I remember. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, I think that's like, that's how I came in, you know, um, I guess Fresh to Death was a, a blending of a lot of my Houston roots with how we play jazz music, which was a lot of jamming, learning by ear and creating in the moment. And mm-hmm. then a lot of like what I like to do when I'm in New York, I was going to the lesson, which this group is like legendary now. Um, I was going to the lesson in like the Lower East Side, which was at Arlene's Grocery. And it was like that vibe. And a lot of, but I would hang out with my Houston homies in New York and that's where we'd be. So I wanted to um, start a vibe like that here. And we had just finished our like two years every week at Green Lady. And I kind of got to a point where I was like, man, like just changing directions, you know? Um, So we started Fresh to Death basically with like, and with the MCs, it was like solely Kemet and Kadesh because those were the MCs that were like rocking with live bands and down to do that. I think our Mm -hmm. first one, we basically, you know, uh, performed all one of Kemet's whole albums or something like that. And I was playing with Miles Bonnie a lot and we would do that. Like he actually shared an album release with us at the Blue Room where we were playing his music with a live band and doing those types of things. So I started Fresh to Death to kind of blend a community. I was on two sides of music. I was on the jazz side and doing that. I think I was like floating seven bands at the time. So I was like (laughs) doing traditional jazz, but then like playing with various blonde and 77 Jefferson and, and Zach Mufasa. And it was all fun. And so I, I felt like Fresh to Death was a place where, you know, we could play our music in a different environment. Like I wanted to get out of jazz clubs and Tank Room was like all about it. And then I wanted to do a jam session that was just for people who wanted to improvise. Like the, the one rule or the rules were like, no covers, no standards. You got to create it on the spot. I don't mm. care who you are. It's all love. And we'd have some good times, you know, people that weren't experienced musicians would come up and, and just vibe. And then people that were jazz musicians, it was that opportunity for them to, to create that vibe and be a part of it. Um, I think we did that for mm-hmm. like, maybe like five years in total and got to the yeah. point where I could bring features in. And we've, we brought a lot of people, a fair amount of people to the city to share the stage with us from like Count Tutu in Tulsa to Shantae Can from Atlanta and my homie rain raps from la and uh we brought in andrew bailey from oklahoma who used to play with the funk apostles and um it just became this collaborative thing like we'll do a set we back someone to do a set and then we'll do a jam session i was always looking for like people who wanted to stand on their original music like i guess like r&b or hip-hop artists that wanted to do that i wasn't necessarily looking for like improvised musicians you, and you mentioned a couple of really great points there, though, Eddie. I loved always the idea that you were kind of trying to provide a platform for another artist. So you're going to give them a chance to showcase. I think the last one, I, one of the last live shows I saw, Chris, was a record bar. You did that fresh to death with Kadesh. It would have been like January, February 2020. Oh, I don't mean yeah. like before, pre-pandemic. And then um, the improvisational aspect, you know, as an MC, I really wonder like how many rappers could do something like that. 
I mean, I'm always blown away by the number of lyrics you'd have to remember and the cadence and the timing of all that to a, to a recorded track. You know what I'm saying? Right. Now you add in the live element when Zach's going to start, you know, going on some drum roll or whatever. I mean, that's, that's jazz to me. Right. Everything's cooking. Everything's live. It's all over the place. Well, a lot of, a lot of uh, MCs you'll find like, uh, when they say they just did a freestyle, that's all stuff they've probably written, but is just locked in here, you know, like it's just in their brain and they can just access it at any point. Uh, right. You know, so when they're when they do a freestyle and they're like, I'm doing it off the top of the head, maybe they maybe they literally are. And it's just like flowing out. But some of that stuff is just in there and they can just be like, OK, what what's the cadence of the beat? And I can I have like a library of things that I can access in my brain. That's why I'm always like, I know that like hip hop sometimes gets a, like a bad rap or, or people are just be like, well, it's not very intelligent. I'm like, do you know what they have to do? Like, you know, like, like the process of, of like those lyrics and those, and those patterns. That's why I've always like loved somebody like MF doom because the he's, he's right. The rhymes are not where they're supposed to be. You know, Mm -hmm. they're like on, they're like halfway through the this sentence rhymes with something over here in the next sentence. You know, it's just yeah. like it's just wild stuff that that uh, MCs are able to do. But that's what catches you, right, Chris? Yeah, that's what gets your ear. Cal- Calvin, our artist, loves to do that. Just play like the off note or something that is not going to be repeated. It's only coming in that one time. And I yeah. think about Friday with Kemet and Kadesh. I'm sure you're right. You've got some stock phrases and rhymes in there that you can go to when you're freestyling. But those guys were just, they're vibing on the motorcycle gang that just rode down the street. Eddie, remember? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that wasn't rehearsed. Well, yeah, no, man, no, no. Kim, dude, Kim, and when I met Kimmit, it's like we were working at a restaurant together, but like Kimmit had already like been in the pitch in like 2000. You know, he's been doing it for a long time. He's been producing yeah. all his albums like since like day one. He was on the poetry scene, you know. When he was yeah. like an, a teenager, and and I think when we did Fresh to Death, it was like we were mainly playing with those two guys all the time because as MCs, they were really the two guys who could get down with the live band and do that. But then their music, like we would start playing their music with the live mm-hmm. band, and that was going. But I mean, Kim had already had the Fantastics like back then, so it was just something that they were used to, and it worked out really, really well. I mean, yeah. I was introduced to several MCs and other people in the scene by doing fresh to death and that's kind of what it was all about it was just about bringing you know why i didn't i felt like i didn't ultimately achieve my goal that i wanted it still brought a lot of people together oh for sure because jazz guys weren't in those rooms with those artists like ever to me i was but they weren't at all like that just never was a thing I, I just want to do a quick shout out to Kemet and uh, congratulate him on Vine Street Brewing uh, yes. coming yeah. in 2022. Uh, first black owned brewery uh, in the city and in the in the Vine District is fantastic. So I just want a quick shout out and congratulations to that guy. Yes, sir. There's a lot of moving and shaking here, gentlemen. I'm really excited and we'll just wrap it up with that on that. And I mentioned to Jade from the Black Creatures too during your set because you aren't just doing brass and bougie songs, you were actually reinterpolating some of Kemet's and Kadesh's songs. And I thought how much fun that must be for those guys here, you know, 18, I'm not, it's not hyperbole either. 
world-class freaking individual artists and collectively like you like the olympic team um do their songs in that vein and marcus lewis of course the freaking ringleader writing those charts i mean i just can't it's just it's so intense he's taken that to a realm with jazz education where like you know we we go do that at colleges now yeah so their jazz programs and then the kids are in the band and involved and you know i there's no i haven't seen a big band that does that yet and then on the collegiate level it's like it's so educational for the jazz musician now because those charts are very involved and you do have to be rooted in the tradition to play them and be able to speak over them. But then mm -hmm. there's a, also another tradition that that you need to be fluent in, which is like modern, I guess for lack of a better term, like modern jazz, like mm -hmm. how to play over the groove, how to, you know, solo over the groove, like what's your role? You know, it's just different. Um, and it does swing there, you know, not to say that things aren't swinging, but it's a lot of odd meter. It's a lot of complex stuff. Um, and it's very great. Um, it's been fun to play. I've been playing with Marcus probably since like first time he moved here. Yeah. A great writer. I've played a lot of those songs just with my band and those two artists too. So it's great to see what a big band arranger did with that. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it really is phenomenal. Everyone, if you haven't checked out Brass and Bougie's first record, so excited to see what's coming next. tribe that was supposed to be our focus here for sure what, what led to the creation or what was the impetus was there like a, a light bulb moment or was this just like a culmination of other things you've been working on to start your studio incubator really um it was completely random actually um uh an artist collaborator had an opportunity that um they wanted to start an artist collective and it's like top on their list for like projects i usually like will invest into something mm -hmm. and i took a look at the space after um i've been traveling around doing sessions at you know in omaha and these other places and um i looked at the space and it it just kind of made sense to me that i needed to have a rehearsal i was thinking about it as a live rehearsal space i need mm -hmm. to have a rehearsal space you mm -hmm. know um and at the time i was sharing it with two other collaborators and so the three of us like put our money together and I was like the first person to like move in. I was like, yes, let's go. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think at the time, you know, right before that, I was really on the fence about maybe relocating just to finish for more opportunities. But um, I found to another city. A, yeah, to another city um, okay. just to play with different people, do some different stuff. Um, but I felt like this was um, an opportunity to like really be the source of change. Um, I wanted 
you know, um, it gave me the opportunity to be independent as far as a jazz musician. I think like jazz is very political here. And this was an opportunity for me to like escape all that and do it the way I wanted to. So we just started building this room out. Um, I started building the live room first because we have a live room and an engineering room. And um, just putting all the ideas together from what I saw on live stages. You know, the record bar is a big, as we played at the record bar and take room in these settings for, you know, years, I wanted a live, I wanted a rehearsal space that would reflect those capabilities, you know, monitors, mm -hmm. sound, the capability for in-ear monitors, just as your music grows, you know, it doesn't just live in the acoustic realm anymore for us. Um, I wanted a place where, you know, you could play with Ableton and hook your computer up, but not just for me, but for other musicians, because believe it or not, there's like no rehearsal space here. Everyone is mainly rehearsing in their basement, which I've seen some elaborate basements, <laughs> yeah. you know, like some real elaborate setups you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and their houses and stuff like that. And Music City was a place where they have rehearsals, but they, um, they had closed it and sold it. And so I felt a need for that. And, um, so we just started putting it together. Um, it's backed line with like a ton of vintage keyboard instruments. So like, you know, like original CP70, um, 1970s Wurlitzer, A200. I have two Fender Rhodes. You know, I have like all the vintage like pianos just for me, but for other stuff. And then I think um, a year, we're also connected to an art gallery. So that was the other thing. It's like multidisciplinary <laughs> artists are around me. Tell, tell the listener, I don't think we got that on air. You are on the corner of 19th and Main. It's 1900 Main, right? Yeah, I'm on the corner of 19th and Main. Um, we're right under Extra Virgin. There's an art gallery there. I'm a part of the 1900 Artist Collective. So I'm an artist, but then like right next to me is Jason Piggy, whose work is in the Nelson Atkins right now with the African American Arts Collective. Mm -hmm. um, he has an exhibit up here. So every time I walk into the gallery space, his work is the first that I see. It's beautiful and very inspiring, you know, very inspiring. Um, next to him is Kayla Bowman, who's a great sculptor, has worked with Mark Sutherland and did 10 years in New York. Then another artist, Michelle, um, I think it's Goodman or Gordon, sorry, Michelle Gordon just moved in. Who's a painter she does large-scale paintings and so we're always trying to you know being a, i'm the musician but i'm surrounded by these other artists so um it's been great and yeah. then, so we're open to do rehearsals and you can like rent out the room to like i say get stage ready i wanted you know i'm a i guess an instrumentalist so it's focuses to that hmm. a place for an instrumentalist to come in and literally like play beyond their wildest dreams like what can you dream of what do you want your live show to be like you could work mm -hmm. on that every day here there's mm -hmm. no limitations you could actually and because of the pandemic things shifted gears because then now we can't play anywhere and then i was at the point where we were in between the misunderstood album and i started focusing more on production and so i think and at my place i actually didn't have internet access so i was freaking out yeah, don't have anywhere to work. So I was here like every day, like 15 hour days and just putting it together for for that. So now we're we can live stream if the, if you want, you can have rehearsals in here. There's a full on recording studio, um, mainly nothing elaborate, but DIY. It's a production space. Yeah. Um, hey, let's go. Let's go back one second to Eddie, because I imagine it's been a, not a work in progress, but you're always, you know, 
adding, changing, shifting things around. I'm looking, you're in the engineering room right now? Yeah. Okay. When, when was it first available to the public? I mean, for people to use as rehearsal space. Uh, I'd say like 2018, 2019. Our first rehearsal in here was with Shantae Can when we were doing the last, like one of the last ones for Fresh to Death. Okay. So she was actually the, the one to break the space in, her and Andrew Bailey. Okay. Um, and it's so we've been open since probably about 2018. Going on three years. Yeah, going on three years. Okay. Um, you better make some official anniversary date. You know, gives you a reason. Yeah, right, right. I mean, yourself. COVID shifted my um my spectrum of time so much. A whole yep. year went by where it was just this run to, you know, go from making it a rehearsal space to also making it like a living room stage. Okay. You know, um. Because we, like you know, we started talking about the label 2017. And I remember first talking to some artists, like, you know, about business. We kept hearing there's no place to practice. They were re renting like uh, storage units mm -hmm. on freaking Miriam or whatever to go practice. Right, right, right. Just couldn't find a space. So I think what you created is not just a rehearsal space. Um, it's, I think it's also important for artists to get out of their home. I'm all, I've seen, of course, people have some really nice killer home studios, but it's just kind of like that attitude, I suppose. Like we're going to this place to do this. We're on the clock. Also, you're on the clock, right? You know, chop chop. Don't don't be late. Get the gear ready, et cetera, et cetera. Where did you did you have a background in all the engineering production pieces? How did you do that? Where did that come from? Actually, no, I didn't. I mean, I've played a lot of different venues in different settings. You know, for for like a. I guess an acoustic pianist. I've played uh -huh. a lot of different, you know, played every venue in the city pretty much. So, okay. Um, and abroad. So no, I didn't, but it came out of necessity. Um, believe it or not, if the, if the, if the, we, the people album was ever going to see the light of day, I just took that role on and did it myself. Um, hmm. And, you know, YouTube university. And then I just started to tap my community around me. And, you know, shout out to Jay Ashley and, you know, my yeah. homies in Omaha, because I was calling like, and they would spend time with me on the phone or lead me to sources that would, that would help me. And I just, you know, being in the environment and listening, um, mm -hmm. I'm a very, um, I guess, observant learner. I learn from the people around me and the things that they're into and the things that friends share with me mostly. Hmm. Um, and so all that just started to come up and I experimented on that one and I learned as I went, um, shout out to Craig Lindsay because, you know, he was the person we bounced everything off of. He is a huge educator out in the KTK area. I mean, legendary, he's like our mentor. So hmm. he helped me. I mean, anything that I bought, I definitely asked him first and, hmm. you know, he told, he teaches us anything that we need to know. And so, um, that was a huge, a huge help. You know, I treated the room acoustically and we built panels and, you know, the whole thing about just gear that would be affordable, the whole streaming side. Um, I was going to ask yeah. you that too. Did you have a lot of gear personally? I mean, you mentioned all the different keyboards alone, or did you have to go assemble based off what you thought an artist might want to have? Or did you also tell them they can bring their own instruments, right? Yeah, they can. You can totally bring your own instruments. Okay. It's set up for that. I mean, I understand drummers don't want to bring anything. So we have two kits. I have a bass cabin here, so I don't have to bring that. But they can okay. if they want. 
Um, for the piano player thing, it's like you could do whatever you want. You could play this or you can bring your synth. You know, some of this stuff is, it's mine personally, so I don't necessarily want people playing on my synthesizer and my, you know, personal keyboard and all that, mm -hmm. but it's totally open. I built something that was, I wanted to build something with, that was DIY so that the artist could have complete control. Um, and I didn't, but the minute I, I didn't have all that gear, but the minute I went to build this space, opportunities opened up where they just came along. And, you know, I think when you, when you have faith in something and you just really follow the path, opportunities open up for it to be successful. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the part about like, just not being afraid because once you go to do something and you put your mind to it, the universe just opens up pathways for it to happen. If you, if you're seeing it that way. Yeah. You know? And it just kind of all fell into place. I would ask the same question too about like the visual, having having the ability to live stream or getting cameras set up. That had to be something probably not necessarily in your wheelhouse. You had to figure out how to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, when you're in quarantine, you have a lot of time. Was misunderstood. I guess that was record. Was that done before the pandemic? No, we had, we recorded it. I wrote all the songs mostly and I had, we recorded it and I was, when the pandemic hit, I was sitting on all of our files from make believe in Omaha okay. where we recorded it and they needed post-production and there was a plan for something to happen that just didn't happen. And instead of just like like all at the same time when they were like, we were worried about them doing like a martial law thing or what would happen and you weren't really supposed to leave your house. I was like, I guess breaking the law to come to the studio, you know, because I had this project that I thought was really special. It was some of the best stuff that I had heard from me, myself and from my peers. And I was going to do whatever it took to make it sound the way I envisioned. And, um, you know, as I was thinking about moving before this, I mean, that album never would have came out. I never would have had the space to do it. So it was just mm -hmm. like a huge blessing. And we just, I just did it here. Yeah. You know, I sat here and I did that. That's what I was just saying that too, is you were working on that in addition to all the other things that you do. But I mean, what a, what a calling card, Eddie. I mean, to let people know, I'm not saying they're going to record in that style of music. I don't think anybody else can, quite frankly. <laughs> but to know this was done here. And yeah. Oh, yeah. All the way. If you if you like this, then we're legit, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, and I I mean, we did I did all the post production here. I did all the, but we recorded like all the drum tracks are done in make believe. Like I did go to Got you. a studio, one our favorite studio in, in Omaha, and work with our DJ Kethro. Like our DJ is the engineer for the album. He's a masterful okay. engineer. Rick Carson was also there, who's you know Grammy winning recording engineer. I mean mixer, great. And so I did do that. And I mean, what, but they're like, what, two hours away, two and a half hours away. Mm -hmm. So we have this bridge, I mean, at least for instrumentalists, like there's a huge bridge that they don't know about between Kansas City and Omaha. And it's waiting. Yeah. It's like, it's waiting, <laughs> you know, yeah. and we're, we're, that's, that's the incubator side of our studio. It's like, I knew about the business and I had had my own publishing company and I am a recording Academy member. So when we first opened, we were like, bringing in guest artists and doing like business and music clinics to talk about publishing, to like, you know, give the information to artists that wanted it. I wasn't charging. It was like, leave a donation at the door. 
Yeah. You know, we already had like a grant situation where we were, I was just paying artists out of my pocket to come and using like the whole fresh to death model, like, but on the education side. Yeah. Like, hey, are you passing through? Okay, cool. I have this budget. Would you mind doing an hour masterclass on, you know, publishing or an hour masterclass on like how you got on touring or how you manage your band or, you know, how you collaborate with people? It wasn't, I mean, that I would try to pick things that weren't actually about how to play music because yeah. jazz musicians really focus on how to play music and not yeah. how to sell music or how to market music or how to like right. be an artist and all that stuff. So that was my main goal with the studio space was like, like, this is a specific thing for jazz musicians to be able to like perform their wildest dreams and create elaborate setups for their music, but also get the information on how to get residual income and have a career, you know, and not move from Kansas city. I don't believe you need to do that. Mm -hmm to be successful you know what I, mean? mm -hmm. I would argue though too that it's not just jazz musicians who need that it's it's so many artists help on the business side not sure. not on how to play your instrument not on how to get that tone that you want whether again it's knowing how to just do get publishing or sync licensing opportunities or i mean i wouldn't go on and on and on and record labels for that matter you know right. we, we think we know what's up but actually we just did what we thought we were supposed to do and then somebody else told us a better way it literally changes every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are no rules. <laughs> there are no rules. And yeah. it changed, you know, I've, I've been on a label, you know, this, a lot of this experience comes from, you know, my experience being signed to Ropadope. Yeah. And, you know, we went on tour that year and I won a Charlotte Street grant that year. And then I pretty much took that money and went on tour. I put it in the band, you know, mm -hmm. we went to New York, we went to Detroit, I went to Costa Rica, we went to, I think like, um, we went to Texas, we went all over and I took the band yeah. with me, Yeah, you know, and I, I just, so it comes from that experience and just wanting to share that with independent musicians as the educator. I mean, someone shared it with me and I think it's, I think part of being an artist is passing it forward, you know? Love it. Yeah. I had one last question. If, do you know that program Artist Mentorship? Enrique Chi from Making Movies. I do. They started it at the you really ought to be a guest on their programs, these RSA lives, Eddie, because I think you've just touched on so many things that are go beyond jazz, just about being an artist, collaboration, moving, moving the, progressing the city, progressing the opportunities in the industry. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to bother you about that later. Put you, yeah, please. <laughs> be, a, be a natural because, because that was my last question was, um, is do you find other is it just jazz artists do you have no um actually the artists that have i mean the artists that kind of like mess with us and come through like our rehearsals have been like uh the royal chief he has rehearsals yeah mostly and i could see why because you know when he takes the stage it's a full band and a dj mm -hmm. and an mc they're mm -hmm. running they have an elaborate setup and you know, um, he's a, he'll be in here sometimes. He's like probably one of my first rehearsals to run and I'll run live sound and they sound amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then Kadesh, um, he was doing some live streams in here. It's like non-jazz musicians, actually. Oh, know? that's right. Kadesh, I remember Ryan did do that during the pandemic. He was doing some stuff oh, and yeah. I was streaming for some artist inks. I mean, some um, Arts KC stuff for him. Okay. And um, it's, and I think the, the only jazz musician it's really marcus we did the marcus lewis um christmas album here 
and okay. we did a lot of the recording for his stream stuff so when he did the performances for the jazz educators network where he put together all the tracks in the video we did all the piano tracks here i recorded drums most of the time i was like engineering drums from the keyboard and playing with zat <laughs> and then i would send the files and we'd have video for both of us so that was a lot of practice for for that so we're really yeah. good at it now you yeah know? um but we're i'm waiting i'm here for you know it's here for everyone um you know my hope is that the jazz musicians or the instrumentals in general just take advantage of it if they want it but maybe they don't need it so we'll be here for whoever and yeah. it's been a it's and been a great time to collaborate like that where I'm, I'm yeah. what do you need what do you want what are you envisioning okay cool we could do yeah. it like this you know and young people I mean, you're young compared to me. I'm just saying, is what is what's your typical age? Is it thirty year old? Um, it's like people my age. It's usually people that know me. Okay. But I also teach piano lessons out of here. Yeah. So there's people from seven years old to like. Okay. You know, adults walking in, and the sure. room is kind of like, it feels comfortable for a kid. You know, the carpet's multicolored. The wall is like fuchsia. Yeah. The couch is purple. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, like they, um, you know, we have a good lesson experience in here. And I've been watching a lot of, a lot of piano students grow, not just in piano, but like, you know, when we have production questions, I just hook the, you know, the live room has a 50 inch TV with HDMI that now we can talk about production from across the room and yeah. you can see the session on the TV and stuff like that. So oh, that's cool. a great clinician room as well. Yeah. What's the best way for people to get information? I'm trying, I'm pulling up your website again. I had it on my computer and I can't see it. For sure. It's uh, eddiemoremusic.com. Okay. Um, I have a tab for Tribe Studio Incubator. You can yep. um, contact me through there. Or I think for the most of the young people, they're on IG or Instagram. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And so we have an Instagram page where you can message me there, see some pictures and some videos and stuff. Um, Tribe just Studio. Kinda, Mm-hmm. It's, it's Tribe Studios KC. Okay. I believe. I'll put those links in the description. I knew it was I knew it was Eddie Moore Music to find the tab. Mm-hmm. And we're 24 hours, so a lot of times I will run rehearsal for people from 10 to 1 a.m. It seems like a really natural progression, again, going back to the fresh to death of just this collaboration, bringing things forward, I would say legitimizing the industry, we talk a lot about music community, which is important, but industry is, if you want to make money, that's what it's about. Yeah. And I, I, it's inspiring, you know? I think that it sounds like you've really got a great thing. And hopefully coming out of the pandemic, now that people can walk out of their homes and breathe, they're going to be frequent in your studios night and day. Hopefully, keep, yeah. Keep you off sure. the road. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You other staff, by the way? uh no right now it's me uh i pretty much live here <laughs> all right but you know because if someone wants to do a rehearsal to like for instance if someone wanted to do a rehearsal tonight at 10 yeah i got here at nine gotcha. so i would hang out and then run their rehearsal at 10 p.m so you just need to invent a like cloning device i think next eddie and get yourself uh, about five of you to do all that's why i got a looping pedal <laughs> <laughs> Dude, hook it up your body. Great. For real. Uh, but I enjoy it, you know. Um, shout out to my girlfriend for just being an understanding partner. And, you know, um, 
I spend a lot of time here, but it's what I, I love you. to do, and it makes me very, very happy. I hear you. Is there you know something you want to talk about that you like about Kansas City? It doesn't have to be music related. For sure. And it doesn't have to be a cause either. And then really the nitty-gritty was, you know, what are what something or some things we can do better, we need to do better that have to change or you know, room for improvement. Let's yeah. not try to just, you know, throw people under the bus, but offer our suggestions. I'll start with it? what I like about the city, I guess. Okay. Um, there's a couple of things actually. Um a few i wasn't a fan of coffee before i moved here like in houston i never really drank coffee didn't care yeah and as i moved to kansas city i'm like a purist <laughs> you know um snob. yeah I, I wouldn't say a snob but i do like good coffee and i think kansas city has really great coffee to offer as well as food so um, where had you just taken your your uh your bandmate who was in town yeah, Keith is also a you know a huge fan. Um, and I took him to Oddly Correct, um, okay, which he loves. I love to. I mainly drink my coffee black, so that's perfect. Great. Um, but I have a couple. I mean, I of course love Broadway. From I think they're like the staple, and I think they're great. Just the vibe of them and the coffee there. And I love Oddly Correct. I love Messenger Coffee. Um, mm -hmm. I'm at Mildred's because they're around the corner, so I love their bakery and coffee. And it's, I think like anywhere you go because the competition here is pretty high it's just gonna be good mm. you know it's like kind of like the barbecue like it's all just good say, yeah it's just about what you want you know what i mean mm. um so okay. that's what i really enjoy about kansas city i probably start my day off with you know coffee whole bean from somewhere or something you know what i mean and just to kind of jump on that too one thing that was attractive for us when starting the label was the number of non-traditional venues where we were starting to see performances and when I look at coffee shops around Kansas City in the last decade, I mean, they've, they've spearheaded that in a lot of ways. They you are. Know, providing, again, another space. And, you know, I get it. It's not maybe a regular performance because people are drinking their coffee or they're on their laptops and whatever else. But it's, you know, you got to start somewhere. You're not starting in Sprint Center. For sure. So nothing, nothing to be ashamed of saying you started in a coffee shop. I think that's actually... That's a great place to start, you know? I started in a coffee shop on the north side of Houston called EB5. What is it? It was called EB5. Okay. And I think it was a gentleman artist. Um, and the north side is not really known for, like, music and stuff like that. So it was a gentleman yeah. who had just got back from New York, started an art um, an art gallery coffee shop. It was yeah. very tiny. We would set up in the corner. And he'd let us play, charge $5 at the door. And that's, you know, I'd make flyers for that back then and just do the whole thing. And it was great opportunities so 
I started off in a coffee shop. I think only people there at the time were my parents. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, it, and, you know, I'll never forget that. It was a great experiment in time. I was recording the band at that time, so I just set up a recorder, and we'd listen back to it, and it was a great opportunity to grow. Yeah. I'm, and I'm just thinking of, again, like Take 5, um, recently PH Coffee in the North, Northland now. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Crows right down the street from me. And that's like the that's FML why. Gallery as well on North. Oh, Coast. Yeah. yeah. You did a, didn't you do one? A month I did. Ago? I did okay. one. They've been doing a series. So I've been seeing a lot of friends do it. And it was, super, it was cool. It was super fun. It's a great, it's a great space. Okay. Anything else? Or do you want to um, move on to what we need to change? Yeah, I mean, I like that. And I like, you know, I, I frequent a lot of skate parks around the area. So I know that's like a really niche thing. But no. I think KC has some really good skate parks. Um, There's a hardcore skating community, both skateboarding and rollerblading. So where do you go? Of, where do you go? Um, There's like probably like a big three. I'm either at Roland Park, I guess Ropo. Is that like just two or three years old? Is that a relatively new or do they rehab I, it? I think that one's pretty classic, kind of okay. old. It's over there by the McDonald's on Roland and on Row. Yeah. And then uh, I meet a lot of guys out there on 135th at Skules or Schulz Soccer Fields, which is really a cool part, which has oh, been around for a long time. Spell that? It's S C H E L L. And okay. then I like Blue Springs a lot, which is a really cool part um it's like a little plaza park and that's like my birthday present it's like hey honey for my birthday i want to go skate blue springs <laughs> wow you're dedicated that's a de de decent i mean it's 20 minutes not a huge drive but i man i skate like three days a week <laughs> get that looping pedal man you need, to, you need to clone it up well that's great and again we you know sometimes we get answers about music and other times just I think Kansas City is really starting to shine, come into its own. And it's great to hear that people love some of the little things like that, you know, that maybe you wouldn't have in another city. Like seasons changing, yeah, it's that kind of story. We were more than smoke and mirrors. Oh, I touched you myself with these two hands. I can feel my heart beat loudly. Oh, I miss you myself with my heart. Now you see me, now you don't. How about some things that in, and it could be jazz related too, the industry needs or feel like we could do better or change? For sure. I think, I mean, I guess my things that the city can improve on are all jazz related just because like jazz is actually like a really big part of Kansas City culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I see, I see movement in other genres. And as far as like what's going on in the industry, I see a lot of progressive movement there that I don't see in my genre. Mm -hmm. While we're in like a, you know, when you come here as a tourist, you don't hear about the indie rock scene. 
Yeah. There's not an indie rock museum. <laughs> so <laughs> should be. There should be. No, there should be. And I think at one point in time there will be a music museum that sheds light on that because the music in Kansas City is like really hit and there's a lot of support for it, which is, you know, great. Um, and I think there's a lot of uh, support for jazz in that realm, you know, as you guys just had us at Lemonade Park, you know. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, I think like one of the biggest things that, you know, the city can improve on is just growing up with where jazz is as a whole, like the marketing of it, the business aspect of it. I mean, it's outlets for it. Like jazz doesn't have to just live in, in jazz clubs, you know, and there's mm-hmm. a ton of places to play. And there's a ton of places for the listener to experience different sides of jazz. And, you know, and I guess that's like, that's always my thing. It's like the jazz community lets other outlets, you know, um, promote jazz harder than they are, which mm. is great, which is crazy to me, um, you know, because like Houston didn't have that kind of scene. So I think that's like the main thing in all aspects, like educating jazz musicians on the business. You know, educating jazz musicians on like what it is to really be a improvised musician, what that means, like, you know, um, and in the outlet for that, you know, um, as a whole, you know, all in one from the venues to, you know, what they'll not just what they'll allow you to play, but what they're set up for a band to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was the big thing for me. It's like, okay, cool. We got to get out of jazz venues because I want to play with my computer and these people don't have a mixer or a microphones or sound. Mm-hmm. Like they don't, you know, uh, I guess it's kind of crazy because then like a jazz venue will have all this funding, but not have what the riot room has. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, know what I mean. you know what I mean? And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not throwing any shade at all, but if you, you know, you're a music venue to music venue, you want to, you know, how do you have a, you know, and then as, as a touring, it's like we get passed up on tours and that's why. How do you accommodate Snarky Puppy or Thundercat in a jazz venue in Kansas City? You mm-hmm. don't have the gear. Right. It starts there. You don't have the gear. Bottom right. line, you know. Um, and so just growing up as a whole, because there's like a jazz renaissance going on. It's popular. These kids love it. They hear it. They hear a crazy group like us and the last thing I hear is like, oh, bro, I don't want to hear that again. I, I never hear that, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? I expect yeah. to at some point, but yeah. I don't ever hear that. And again, that's awesome. <laughs> going back to the Lemonade Park, the the district performance. God, what a blur this last weekend was. Saturday? You're telling <laughs> me, man. I, yeah, Chris. You're telling I'll me see, it's a blur. I'll, I'll see you tonight at... Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. By the way, we'll be there at 7 o'clock, first in line. Just to piss you off. Um, but I think about that because you got to know that some people that went to that performance had never heard you before, Eddie, right? They'd never seen We The People and because they, they came to see one of the other bands or they just wanted to go out, right? I'd say 90, 90 to 95% of the audience had never heard us. And so that's what I'm getting to is I got to believe that some, there were people in the audience that were completely floored and they're not necessarily going to say, I saw a jazz band last night. I heard a lot of things actually. Um, one person told me, a young person came up to me and was like, man, this is like real jazz. Like, I don't think I've ever heard real wow. jazz where they weren't playing like, you know, like standards. So I'm like, this is real improvisation. Wow. Like it hit him. Wow. And they were way younger than me. And they were like, whoa, I like this. Yeah. And there's tons. I mean, if that energy's here, then, 
You know, that's kind of what I mean. Like, I think the jazz community is alienating itself from a bigger audience while they're trying to gain a bigger audience. You know, the audience is here. I hear all the time, you know, where can we go hear stuff like this? So I think just growing up in general, but man, a lot of people, they were all saying that or like, it's kind of wild the stuff that Lord. Hear, you know and that was that was the idea too when i like called eddie about the booking i was like hey so i need you to come in and like set this crowd on fire and then the bands behind you will just come knock it down yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we were i was totally for that you know yeah. um that's 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 what we do i was like i i just want to open yeah really i and even on the roads like i just want to open mm-hmm. um but i think the city you know i think about you know, let's just toss around the potential of that if if it doesn't exist. If we mm-hmm. grow up with where the music is today, mm-hmm. then look at what that does for A, venues and the monetary side of it for them. You're going to make more money. Yeah. You know, and then I, artists will want to be here. They can promote themselves and launch out from here. They don't have to move. Mm-hmm. And then you build bridges here because like, yo, artists will go to Lawrence. A jazz artist will go to Lawrence, play Lawrence, and skip right over Kansas City and go straight to St. Louis or Chicago. Hmm. And there's so much other jazz music going on in Chicago that's like on fire right now. They're so close to us, we can't even accommodate them. Hmm. And so stuff like that, like we start to become talked about in the greater jazz community of the United States more, you know, more than just Charlie Parker or more than just the big band era or more than just, that's cool. That's great. Like that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but it's 2021. And even on like the, the press side, it's like, you know, cover, you know, I think it's always kind of covered from a negative connotation when it's like, bro, just write positive stuff or yeah. just take the positive aspect of if you like the music and what it's doing and what it mm-hmm. sounds like. And then, you know, people will be talking about what's going on in Kansas City from L.A. and New York. And they'll be wanting to come here to experience that sound and energy for sure, because it is different than other places. Well, like I, I remember we had a um, and I've told this story a couple of times, but um, we had this uh, like folk band. I can't remember. Maybe they're called like something giant. I can't remember. They're like folk pop. Right. And they like play like a big show. 300 plus people at record bar and all the other guys in this band are like hippy dippy. They're going to go eat their or drink their veggie smoothies on the bus. They're not going to go out and do anything, but the drummer is like, Hey, I'm a mercenary. Uh, I want to do something. And I was like, "Uh, well, there's a jazz club down the street. If you want to go do that. And he's like, I'm a jazz player. I want to go. So we went down there and it was like on, it was like, the perfect night to go down there because it's like it wasn't a friday or saturday so it was like way more relaxed but like he was even telling me he like knew chris hazelton he's like i know of chris hazelton and i'm like how do you know of chris hazelton like there's like people in the jazz communities know what we have here we just need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to foster that in a way that makes it more appetizing to people you know, yeah. and and like find a way for people to get paid. Like I I don't think like there should just be free entry to every jazz club in the city. There should be some. The jazz model is really messed up and yeah. dated right now. Yeah. You know, and on that, it's like 
the great thing about Kansas City is that there's a huge music scene here and everyone outside of my genre is working triple time, triple yeah. harder than the people in our community. You know, and that that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and if it wasn't for for them seeing that that's the thing that doesn't exist in Houston is like that. If it wasn't for like people like you, Chris, and like people at the Riot Room and like Tank Room giving us a chance and like wanting to showcase that part of jazz music, then like I wouldn't really even have that kind of success. You yeah. Know? But it's not because of, you know, I don't play at jazz venues. There's not one jazz venue on my calendar and there hasn't been. And if there is, it's out of town. And it's it's incredible when you start to play jazz music out of the city because the approach to it and the reaction to it is completely different. I mean, completely mm. different. I've played Detroit Cliff Bells like a whole weekend. Dude gave us a he would they wouldn't let us stop playing. Mm. <laughs> he was like, they literally wouldn't let us get off stage. Yeah. And same in Omaha. I we got double encore. I had to say, hey, no more. Like, yo, we're tired. But it's that kind of energy, and they get it. They're not expecting to hear anything beside improvised music. And um, I think we'll be in a real special place when that happens. And I think that's like, at least while I live here, that's like my personal mission. You know, I mean, it's a personal mission to like help that grow or create an alternative lane for people to find the music they want to hear and the balance is great yeah let's go back to that for a second too eddie because you know we talked about barbecue right? right if i asked a typical kansas Cityan, tell me your top 10 barbecue spots they're going to rattle off six seven without even thinking twice right right if i asked a typical kansas city who's also going to brag about how we're known for jazz tell me 10 current jazz artists and we can be loose about that term too right I don't know that that could happen. I think they could name some venues, a couple of places you guys just mentioned, but I don't know that they can do that. And so now the question is, Eddie, when you say the city needs to do a better job, are we talking about Mayor Lucas, who I get no. I'm pestering? Well, let me not just say the mayor, because one human <laughs> being can't do it all, but I mean like the Chamber of Commerce, or is it, you go back to the media, because I, I, I know I know you had a Facebook of was Instagram or Facebook post last week. And there was a question like, why don't people know about this Brass and Bougie event, this Trustaval event, which is freaking phenomenal. I mean, seriously, 20 world-class artists. And like, why aren't we getting publication on this? And I would say like, where's the star on this? Where's like the local coverage? Oh, where's well, star is, star doesn't do anything local. Yeah. So then, I mean, how, that's gone. So then how are people supposed to actually find out the people that wouldn't already know the people are that don't already know you're awesome and where to find you That's well um i guess it when i say the city and the people yeah um i don't mean like city government but i guess from the jazz room it's like i say the city because we do have these jazz organizations that raise grant money they get money they mm -hmm. raise funds to sure. do charlie parker things or do things that are like for the historic fact of jazz in the city, you know, I'm not right. upset at the star or the pitch or I've been in all those actually. And they've actually covered us and other music more than, you know, I guess like jazz ambassadors or, mm -hmm. or Casey jazz alive or whatever these organizations are, you know, and they have these meetings once a month and ask each other, well, what can we do to bring more people to jazz? And well, the reality is get out the way. 
you know, get out the way. Like you guys are at a, at a place where you don't even see, you're not as connected with the jazz culture as you think you are mm-hmm. because maybe, you know, and you can like whatever genre of music you want to like. That's great. I'm not saying that I love swing. I moved here to learn how to do that. I dedicate my life to, that's not what I'm saying. And so it's like, you know, they're not writing about the, um, the things that Aaron is doing. And she's got a whole calendar of jazz people. They're not writing about the things that y'all are doing at Lemonade Park. They're not writing about the things that are going, that when the jazz artists pop up at the FML gallery, like Alyssa Murray, whose last yeah. EP is sick. Yeah. Especially as a jazz pianist. A, wom- a woman jazz pianist just put out a fire album. I don't even think they wrote about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not talking about me. Like, I get tons of press because of i just know the business you know the power of the press release but i'm talking Mm -hmm. about everyone else i'm talking about the next generation younger than me you know there's a whole bunch of 19 year olds 20 year olds that are going really 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 hard and they're ignoring them Mm -hmm. you know and and so when i say the city i mean these organizations a why do you exist you know like what do you exist for and i said the same thing when we were in the pandemic i go man at the same time i made a post and i go man it's crazy how restaurants are coming to jazz support when harder than jazz organizations and they're in the same boat as us, they're hurting just like us. But as I like go to Corvino and get groceries every week, cause they just love the jazz community. You know, mm-hmm. as I, as they're, as them and the Rieger are kind of halfway open to provide opportunities for us to play and, and make money and, and, and help them make money. You know what I mean? And then when I said something, then they started a fund in reaction. And then when I said something last week, they started promoting black jazz artists. And it's like, well, yeah. And then you say, like, I'm wrong for saying something, but look at your action. If it wasn't true, then you wouldn't be doing it now. Just do it naturally. Just do it, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's like we can help each other get what we both want. We want to bring people to this music and you want to bring people to this music. So why are we where's the disconnect now? The industry doesn't work where you send your gig listings to a calendar. If that's your, if you do that, then I also feel, I know how press works. I know how blogs work. That's your responsibility to be in the know. Mm. So you should maybe have relations with people that are doing outside things that are bringing people to jazz music. And so that way we can cross pollinate. And there's just a lot of red tape with all this stuff. When I think jazz doesn't need to live in a political realm, it's independent music. It's rebel music. I think that's the one thing, you know, it's political ties in Kansas city are choking it to me. Mm. You know, that's why I wanted to start tribe studios. I wanted to be independent. So they can't tell me nothing. They can't tell me anything. I can teach how I want. I can do clinics. I can bring in whoever I want. Mm -hmm. They can't tell me anything. There's no, well, this isn't jazz enough, or this isn't this enough. And well, what about, nah, this isn't, nah, it's, that doesn't exist. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. we've been able to do amazing things, you know, and I see them ignore a lot of this stuff. Like, my main thing is like them ignoring Marcus Lewis, big band. Like Marcus Lewis just represented Kansas city to the whole entire world on the jazz educators network and crushed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they ranted and raved about how great the performance and the production of the performance and the overall experience was no one talked about that. Yeah. No jazz entity talked. Well, we should be bragging about that. Yeah, man. I just, miss- you know, I miss his Ask a Jazz Dude series. Oh, yeah. We were yeah. <laughs> freaking, guys, that was so good. And again, 
I think it exposed Eddie, you two artists who are currently creating, pushing the boundaries, rebel music, like you said, you know, not, and there's nothing wrong with tradition and there's nothing wrong with preserving and celebrating history. I think it's, you, we need to have a mixture of all of the above with the focus on where are we now and where are we gonna go because right. it's good for all the parties involved. Like you said, everybody wins, especially me, the audience that just wants to watch you rock. And yeah, and uh, my my and they'll hate me and they'll say, oh, this isn't right. But my question to everyone in the jazz community is what is the jazz? What is the Kansas City jazz legacy going to be in 2040? And if it, we're still it, talking about Charlie Parker and Count Basie, then I think even their families would agree. There's a problem. Yeah. Bottom line. <laughs> yeah, you, you could equate it to my generation with like the Royals or with the Chiefs. We would, we're talking about the 1980 Royals. And, and I'm like, that's 30 years ago or whatever. These kids, these like, kids don't give a, give a hoot about that stuff. No, we world champions on both sides now, and that's what matters. Well, <laughs> So let's apply that then to you have got a cream. And like you just mentioned, Alyssa, I love that record. And again, the, just the diversity, watching her play last year. It was the night before, I think you did the Fresh to Death. She was with Claire Adams, Fritz was on drums, and then she had a string section, um, Esky, and <laughs> I was like, this is nuts. It's nuts. There's nuts. so much hear, stuff. And then I hear that new record. I'm like, where did this come from? That's but our record got bad. I mean... If you read the Kansas City or the person who reviewed it or the review from Kansas City about our record, and then you go read the other press that we got from around the country and the world. Yeah. I mean, just read the tone. Yeah. You can start there. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Like, the approach to it in general is like, and that's the only approach that you get. Like, so a fan of Kansas City, a fan that like of jazz music that like checks out all these sites that wants to go to the shows and wants, that's what they're reading because that's all they know and that's all that's available to them to read they might not like go to they might not know to go look in the pitch sure. or go look in these other these other magazines for jazz press because they're like well there's jazz organizations here and they're they trust them they're telling me what's good and it's like sure what <laughs> would you and I, I there is something to be said for doing things your way because you can do it the way you want to and that's we kind of started the record label would you ever consider you know having some sort of i don't want to say a summit but having an open dialogue at tribe in your space where you can encourage those kind of conversations for the people that want to be involved in those conversations beyond recording music i'm just talking about it seems like you're you're cultivating you're incubating you're 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 talking about doing like the the, the master classes for people in the same way, you know, bringing some people together into one room, politics aside, what can we do? What do you need? What do we need? What, what does the community I need? would love to. I doubt that they would want to show up, but I'm here and I would love to because I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, let's make more money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love do it. Do you not want to make more money? Because I want to make more money. I want to yeah. help you make more money. Yeah. Like, let's make more money. Like, the stuff that I've encountered, I mean, I think at one of these venues, I dropped off flyers for our show at the venue. And because they weren't made by them, they took them down. And I didn't post them up. I asked, them, like, where's a good place to leave these? Like, and just, like, show up, start taping stuff to the wall, you know? 
I did yeah. it very respectfully, but I'm like, so you're you're gonna stop us from helping make you money because you didn't make this flyer? Well, maybe you should have made this flyer. <laughs> like what? That's yeah. insane. Yeah, <laughs> that's insane. I, <laughs> I completely agree though on the money making aspect because I just feel like you and you see it. I mean, you've traveled a lot in other cities and other cultures and other countries. There are it's tourism dollars and it's tourism within your own city people don't know about it you, you're telling about worlds of fun you're telling them about this restaurant you're telling about jazz make mm -hmm. money and that's well, what makes that, our city good. different from other cities you know we're telling them go hear jazz music yeah got you this has been a beautiful conversation eddie chris i really appreciate i know you both are just slammed starting from about i don't know birth or last week but anyway um, I think we, we covered a lot of ground. It was great to learn a little bit more about your life too, Eddie. Just again, I've known you as a musician, but I'm excited about Tribe. I guess I, I, I remember when there were some things happening. I can't believe it's been around for three years. Pandemic has messed it up. So here's to, here's to a lot of success. Um, I think that you've got some natural partnerships too with young people, like schools. We didn't talk about that, like education. Just com we're completely draining the arts from our elementary and high school programs. And what you have there, I don't think it should just be for old cats. It should be for the young seven-year-old girl that wants to learn recording techniques or be on a stage where they feel safe. Um, so we'll try to help, you know, continue to spread the word. Um, best of luck to you. Thank you for sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, it's been great. Chris, really appreciate it. I know you too. I think you said last time you talked to Eddie, you had like an hour and a half every time phone. every time we talk it's like a no less than a 30 minute conversation <laughs> because like the other day we, he called just to ask questions about the show and we talked for 30 minutes okay all right <laughs> well best of luck and see you tonight chris uh this has been awesome kansas city stay safe stay strong peace out